Hi, everyone. Dave Stahoviak with the final lesson in this course on how to engage your audience. I'm airing this course here on the podcast feed this week while applications are open to the Coaching for Leaders Academy through Friday, September 10th. You can find details at coachingforleaders.com slash academy. And if you want access to this free audio course permanently, you know what to do. Just go over to coachingforleaders.com and set up your free membership. Now, the fifth and final lesson on handling pushback. Throughout this entire course, I've been encouraging you to take some key steps in order to be more proactive about serving your audience well. Using analogies to make complexity simple, citing third parties for additional credibility, and making sure you can be heard physically, right? So people have the chance to engage with you in the first place. And of course, all through this is the overarching mindset from the very first lesson of it's not about you. At the end of the day, it's about the audience. You'll do well in the long run if you take care of the audience first. So that's why this final lesson gets to a critical concept that throws some presenters for a loop, even if they get everything else right, and that's pushback. What do I mean by pushback? Well, it can take a lot of forms, but most often it shows up in the form of tough questions. Sometimes that's after the presentation, but if you're talking to executives, that's often during the presentation too, especially if you're making a presentation where you're asking a client or a leadership team to make an investment in something or to change the way they do things, you should expect that there's going to be some pushback. And here's a consideration for you that might seem a little counterintuitive. You actually want to get pushback. Here's why. If you're asking an executive team or a client to approve funding or change their mindset, or change the way they've been doing business, that's a big ask. It's human nature for all of us, especially when people are asking to make a change or put money on the line, to push back, even if you've made a compelling case. In fact, executives, that's their job to push back. So you actually want to get pushback and tough questions in high-visibility presentations, particularly for two reasons. First, getting tough questions means that your audience has engaged with you. That's the first step. And it's not enough by itself, but it means that you've raised their awareness enough to process your message with you. That's what this entire course is about, right? Engaging your audience. Most of the time, that's a good indicator that you've made some progress. Second, and even more importantly, you want to have a chance to answer tough questions. I've seen it happen many times in my career when someone gave a good presentation and then didn't make time for the tough questions or make the space or then didn't do a good job of responding to a few of them. And you know what almost always happens when that plays out? The presenter leaves, so either walks out of the room physically or disconnects from the virtual event, and then the conversation really starts. Or if they're part of a larger meeting, the key influencers end up having a side conversation in the hallway afterwards or in a second online meeting to really talk about their concerns. The tough questions are still going to come out, even if they don't come out in front of you. So it's always been my desire, and I've been teaching people this for years, 
that if people are going to call into question your recommendation or your work or your message, you're going to do a lot better at influencing that outcome if you're still in the conversation when it happens. That's why it's important for you not only to welcome pushback, but also to do a good job of handling it when it comes up. Now, I know that may sound good in theory, but how do you actually handle a tough question when it gets tossed your way? Here's a four-step process I've been using for years, and I'll walk you through it so you can use it as well. First of the four steps, after someone asks you a tough question, you should frame what everybody cares about. Here's what I mean. When I worked at Dale Carnegie, I would occasionally get a question from a prospective customer of ours because we were a premium brand who would push back on cost. And the question would sometimes sound something like, hey, this is a big investment. Why is it so expensive? When I'd get a question like this, the first thing I'd want to do is bring it back to the big picture for everyone in the room by framing what I thought everyone who was there cared about, whether they had that specific concern or not. So I'd say in response to something like that, I know we all care deeply about making good investments in services and making sure those investments pay off. That sentence, framing what you already know everyone in the room likely can get behind, does two things. It elevates the tone by pointing out that, hey, we all want this to go well. We might disagree on the specifics, right? But nobody wants to see any organization or individual make an investment that doesn't pay off. That wouldn't be good for me either if it didn't pay off for them. So by stating out loud what everyone already cares about, you're framing this as a, we're in this together and we ultimately all want a good outcome. Again, it's not about you, right? I know I keep repeating that, but so much of this keeps coming back to that principle. The other benefit of starting off with a sentence about what everyone already likely cares about in the room is that you can soften a really negative question just a bit. So notice in my response, I said, I know we all care about making good investments, but I didn't repeat the word expensive because I didn't want that to be associated with our brand at the time. So I'm not changing the question. Don't change the question. Don't do what the politicians do and answer whatever question you want to answer. That said, I can change the phrasing of a word or two to take out a bit of the negative emotion out of it. So using a word like investment instead of expensive. So once you've established what everyone cares about, it's just a sentence, maybe two at the most, then you need to secondly, this is the second of four steps, respond with credibility. So here's how I would do it with that question that would come occasionally about cost. After my first sentence, establishing what I thought everyone cared about, then I would give two to three examples of other programs that I already knew the company was investing in. Since I would get this question occasionally, I learned to do some research in advance on what the other education and training programs that the organization that I was speaking to was already using. And I would do my very best to keep it fact-based, and I'd simply cite the hourly cost of the programs that they were using and the graduate programs that their employees were already engaged with, 
and I'd have an example or two of the costs that they were likely already paying that came along with most of those programs. This is where experience comes in in your work of knowing what people are already doing, what kinds of investments they're already making. And when I do that, our programs were not only competitive, but when you broke it down by hourly cost and outcomes, often we looked like a really good option. And again, thinking about this from the audience's perspective, I'm using examples that I was fairly sure most of them were already familiar with. So that's the second thing, responding with credibility. Then, third of the four steps, draw a conclusion. So this would often sound something like, based on those examples, our proposal is competitive with the investments you're already making or the investments they had already made in the past. And since in my case, people had generally already concluded that the outcomes would be better with us, it wasn't so much the outcomes, it was the cost concern. And so the cost concern would then become a little bit of a lesser issue. Now, notice I didn't say you're wrong about us being expensive (laughs) or try to argue the point directly. I would simply try to dispassionately present evidence that had a counterpoint to the narrative of the question and reset the thinking in the room. So first, state what everyone cares about. Second, credible examples that speak to the issue. And third, draw a conclusion from the evidence. Then finally, fourth step is to connect back to whoever asked the question. While I would always try to answer a tough question with clarity and confidence, I also didn't want to ever assume that I had addressed their concern. So I would often finish just by asking directly, does that address your concern? Or did I answer your question? And this is key on the last step, because if they didn't give me a clear yes to that, or maybe they kind of said yes, but their body language would tell me otherwise, I try to encourage them to lean into the issue a bit. So I might say something like, sounds like I may not have fully addressed your concern on this. What are you still wondering about? And that way it gave them an opening for a bit of a follow-up conversation. And I think it's really worth asking that follow-up question to try to connect with someone, especially in a high-visibility situation. It is not always going to work. Some audiences and executive teams or potential clients do not have the cultural norm to discuss concerns in front of someone who's asking for funding or doing a new way of business or whatever. And if they don't want to respond in a way that seems like they're open to going further, that's fine. That's their choice. You're there to serve them again, right? But oftentimes, I was pretty pleasantly surprised at how much people would say if I would just open the door with the question. Because if we're going down a path that wasn't going to work for them or for us, I'd rather know that earlier, right? And so would they. Sometimes they just wanted to go into more detail. And sometimes an entirely new concern would come up that hadn't yet been discussed. And often it was that second thing that they'd say that would be more of the real concern, the real issue. And then that's something we could then all work together on determining what we were going to do next. So back to the earlier point, there's often going to be a conversation about your credibility or proposal if you're asking an audience to do something. I'd rather be in the room or on the line when that conversation's happening So I could actually be part of it and respond to those concerns 
instead of hoping that they're going to come to those conclusions on their own, which most of the time they won't because they're not you and they don't have your experience and perspective of being closer to the situation or the proposal or whatever you're there doing in your presentation. So here are the four steps again of handling pushback from those tough questions. Step one, first, state in a sentence or two what everyone in the room already cares about. That way you establish everyone's in this together. Second, provide credibility by citing examples, data, and testimonials that address the question directly. Third, draw a clear conclusion about what the evidence means in relation to their question. And then fourth and finally, connect back to the person asking the question and ensure that you addressed it fully. And if it turns out you didn't, you go right back to step one or step two to ensure you actually do address their concerns. If you will proactively invite and address pushback from your audiences, you'll be more likely to get the outcome you want. And even if you don't, establish your credibility for all your future interactions with them. I hope this course has been useful to you in thinking about how to engage your audiences wherever they may be. And I hope that part of what you've heard again and again is that key principle of it's not about you. That's really the heart of leadership, isn't it? If you approach leadership from a place of service, you'll do well in the long run. And that's what the academy is intended to do. Whether it's enhancing your professional credibility, leading a team through change, becoming more coach-like, or taking on a new significant role, perhaps the academy is right for you. The academy is a commitment. It is an investment not only in yourself, but in others to create movement over an entire year. And if the time's right for you, I invite you to consider the academy. To apply, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash academy before September 10th. And whether the academy is right or not, I hope you'll take my invitation to put this course into action so that you engage your audiences better. Thank you so much for listening to this course and for the privilege for me to influence your thinking each week. Now, stay tuned for the next regular episode where I welcome Johnny Taylor Jr., the president and CEO of the Society for Human Resource Management, who is going to help guide us on discovering overlooked talent. Talk to you then.